All right, if you have a Bible, open your Bible to Romans chapter 6. We're going to water baptize people in just a moment, and uh, I wanted to just talk you through one aspect of water baptism. If you want a fuller message on water baptism, you can go on YouTube, and you can search for me, Max Cornell, and the word water baptism, and a message will come up back from when I still had hair. But I still knew what I was talking about, and it's a pretty good message, and so... Uh, I do tell people that the more hair I lose, the more anointed I get, because that's what happened to, to Elisha. But, um, but anyway, I want to just discuss with you one, one aspect, really one point about water baptism, and it's a really good one. And so uh, Romans 6, I think, gives us the most information about um, water baptism, and it shows us that it's a picture of what happens in your conversion. It's a, a picture of what Jesus did for you in his death, burial, and resurrection. And in some sense, the Greek word baptizo, it, it, where we get baptized, they didn't quite know what to do with it. So some Greek words they didn't know what to do with, so they just transliterated them. Tran, they, they, transliterate means you don't have an equivalent word, so you just sort of adopt the word. So it means to immerse, but older than that, it means to sort of identify with. So it's this idea that we're, being, we're identifying with Christ's death, burial, and, and resurrection. And um, so let's just get a running start at it. Uh, Romans 6.1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a great question. It's a response to Romans 5. Romans 5 says God loves you unconditionally regardless of what you do. And uh, hallelujah. And then... You know, people in church get nervous when you say that, and they say, well, what? people are going to go sin then. And, well, no, they're not. How shall we continue in sin? Verse 2 says, or how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So the reason in the New Testament that people don't continue in sin or don't sin is not because of a fear of judgment or the wrath of God, but because your nature and your identity has literally been changed. Jesus actually fixed you. Hallelujah. Now, does that mean you never have any kind of temptation or something? No, but it means that uh, Jesus made a real change on the inside of you and you have a new nature. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Um, I taught that really clearly back in our series on Romans, if you want to go online and, and understand Romans 6 better. Verse 3 says, now here's where we start talking about baptism. Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that just like Jesus was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I want to hone in on just one small phrase there. It says that Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now, if you study the whole Bible and what the resurrection, how it worked, um, all three members of the Godhead were involved. Romans 8.11 says that the Spirit uh, that raised up Christ will also quicken your mortal body. So the Holy Spirit raised up Christ. Jesus said, no man uh, uh, takes my life from me, but I lay it down and I take it up. So Jesus in a sense, raised himself from the dead. And this verse says that the Father raised him. So it was, a, it was a team effort, as it were. 
But um, hold on to that phrase for a moment. It says, He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Turn over in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. And verse 21, it says, You that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. Amen. I got to do this fast, to, to, so please give me some grace, okay? In our minds, because of sin, because of wicked works, sometimes we believe that we're the enemies of God. This is the fundamental human condition. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They went and hid. Because of their sin, it, it twisted their perception of God, and they thought, He's going to be mad at me, He's going to judge me, I need to go hide. Now, if you know the story, God had mercy on them. He made a sacrifice and protected them. He covered their nakedness. Now, some people say, well, but he kicked them out of the garden. Well, he did that for their own protection as well because he said if they eat this tree of knowledge of, of uh, what's the tree of life, thank you, Josh. I was trying to say good and evil, but they already did that. So they don't eat the tree of life or you'll live forever in this fallen, sinful state. So he, he kicks them out as an act of mercy, not, not judgment. So here's the deal. Is, is sin, it, it does, Isaiah 59, it says that your iniquities have separated between you and God. So sin does separate us from God, but it's basically in our minds. It's like an illusion. It's a lie. Okay? And, and now, think about this. It says that Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of, of the Father. Jesus on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21, says that Jesus, He became sin for us who knew no sin. So He, he, he didn't sin, but He became like us. He entered into sin. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does he say that? Because that's how he felt. Because that's how we feel when we sin. But is it true? We talked about this at length on our Easter message. I can't recap the whole thing, but look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is what Jesus is quoting on the cross. So the first verse, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You read the rest of it, it's all about the crucifixion. I mean, it's such, a, it's such an accurate description of the crucifixion. It's that and Isaiah 53, are, are, um, it's miraculous how accurately they describe the crucifixion. And it was prior to when crucifixion was a means of killing people. So it's supernatural. But anyway, verse 24, uh, skip on down. It says, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. Amen. Now, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, he's saying, Psalm 22 is happening right now. Yeah. 
That's what he's saying. So I feel like God has abandoned me. But what's verse 24 say? Even though I feel that way, I know it's not true. Okay, now, Romans 6, 4. Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. The word glory is the Greek word doxa. It means the honor or the, the esteem that comes from somebody having a good opinion of you. It's very much like this is saying God's opinion, the Father's opinion of Jesus is what raised him from the dead. Okay. What are you saying, Pastor? I, I'm, I'm going to pull it all together. It's, it's really beautiful. What happened at Jesus' baptism? So Jesus goes under the water, yes. signifying death. He comes back up to the heavens opening and the Father shouting, You're my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. The declaration of the Father is what raised Him from the dead. So look at, look at this. I, uh, some of you are like, what's happening? Listen, here's what it is. Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he feels distant because he's become sin. But the father's not angry. He yells down, no, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the strength of that revelation is what raises Jesus from the dead. And it says at the end, even so we walk in newness of life. What's that mean? The same thing that, Jesus, that God says about Jesus, He's saying about you. Woo! And that's what allows you to walk in newness of life. Amen. The revelation that you're a son and daughter of God. How many of you would like to have more resurrection life flowing out of you? How many of you would like to be resurrected from a terrible circumstance? Well, what does that? The glory of the Father. The Father speaking of you. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. You know, our sister over here that got healed of, of celiac disease. Well, that's a, that's a kind of resurrection. Sickness is just limited death. And so what happens in that moment? Why is she? She's a beloved daughter. In whom God is well pleased. You know what? The biggest kind of death, though, is, is this live separation from God. And if you read the rest of Romans 6, it goes on to say that Jesus, in the death that he died, he died unto sin one time. And that he lives, he lives unto God. And the Amplified says he lives in unbroken fellowship with God. Well, that's really encouraging. Um, sometimes people want to get rebaptized because they didn't like understand what happened. I think that's great. But you don't need to get baptized over and over and over every time you sin or do something dumb. Why not? Because you don't, you, don't, you, you don't get reborn again, 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 again. You die to sin one time. What's that mean? Well, it means your sin nature dies one time, but it also should mean this. 
You ought to die one time to the lie that God is mad at you and God has rejected you and God has abandoned you. It ought to end at water baptism. Boy, I wish I'd have known that when I got water baptized. Because I spent years of my life thinking that, thinking that my sins had separated between me and God again. And here I am. Now I'm, I'm, you know, done something stupid again. And God's over here. And God's mad. He won't talk to me. You know. You die unto death. You die unto sin once. And then you're resurrected forever with this revelation of God shouting over you. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. And I just have concerns that many people just, we, we live as servants when we're called to be sons. And, uh, you know, a servant says, I'm, I'm unworthy or I'm trying to earn it. But a son says, my father provides every good thing. A servant says, give me an order which isn't bad, but a son says to the father, what are your dreams? Yeah. Let's dream together. Amen. Servants will say, is it quitting time yet? <laughs> you know, you only get however much time you pay for. But sons know that they're working for their own inheritance. A son who knows who they are, they'll outwork a servant. Servants will say, I need to earn it. But sons say, well, my name's already on the deed. I'm already the inheritor of every good thing. Servants always feel like they don't belong. In fact, Jesus said, the servant doesn't abide in the house forever. My pastor always tells this story. It's such a good story. I don't have, my kids aren't old enough yet. But he says, he, he, he had three boys. And he talks about it. It says the servant doesn't abide in the house forever. That means, you know, a servant, if he works really hard, he might, he might come and eat at the master's table every now and then if he does a really good job. Right? But, but Pastor Lawson, my pastor, he said one day he came home from work and, and his, his wife had called him because his son was not being very good at school. Anybody ever get that call? <laughs> All right, my, he's like, my son, he, he, he was in trouble. He was not behaving. And he said, you know what? When I got home, he was sitting at my table eating T-bone steak. And he was not a good boy. He did not get that steak because he was good at school that day. He got it because of who his dad was. Because he was his son. That's what grace looks like. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what's the, what's the deal with water baptism? Well, you, you die. A lot of Christians struggle because they don't know they're dead. So you need to know that you're dead to sin. You need to know that you're dead to this lie that, that God is mad at you. But you don't stay dead. I'm not going to hold anybody under the water. Praise Jesus. <laughs> they're going to come back up. And so you've got to know some Christians struggle because they don't know that they're alive. And you end up trying to kill parts of you that God meant to be alive. Mm -hmm. Mom, that's good. Many people will kill dreams that God gives them and call it holiness. Mm -hmm. 
I got more notes on the sheet. I'll make one more point. You can read the notes later. 1 Corinthians 15. Again, you only die unto sin one time. There's this notion that I got to die all the time. 1 Corinthians 15, 29 through 32. This comes from this verse of Scripture. Actually, start at verse uh, 30. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Jesus Christ our Lord. I die daily. Well, what's he mean by that? Well, if you have a really religious notion of, of that, you think it means you've got you've to kill parts of yourself every day. You've got to self-flagellate. You've got to do like St. John of the Cross, who, who wore this belt around his waist that was too tight. It was like chain. It hurt him. And uh, he was in pain, like, all the time, because he thought that harming himself would some. He was, it was Gnostic. It was a Gnostic way of thinking. He thought that killing parts of his flesh, that that somehow got him closer to, to God. Now, I honor St. John on the cross. He was a holy man, but I disagree with that notion. Your, your body's not evil. Wanting to eat food isn't evil. Just don't eat a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. I believe in fasting. Fasting is good, but don't do it to try to kill your body. Hello. Amen. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to kill it. What's he mean when he says, I die daily? Look at the next verse. If after the manner of men I fought with the beasts of Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So I don't think he actually fought like a beast at Ephesus. I don't know. He's probably talking about the demonic powers behind the people at Ephesus. There was a major revival there, but you can read about it in Acts 19. He's just saying, he, he, when he says, I die daily, he's talking about all the danger that he faced every day as a missionary. In fact, if you, if, if you read it in modern translations, it says, I face death every day. Hello, is everybody okay? So what's he mean? He's just, he just saying it's, it's hard being a missionary. <laughs> all right, thank God we live in the modern era. We can go minister to all these people. And there's, no, there's, like, you know, there's risk to your pride if you don't do a good job. But you don't, you don't have to risk your, your life. You can go, I love that. We, we love giving to that ministry. So Paul was risking his life all the time. But, but Paul was not saying this Romans 7 notion that, that you've you got to kill your flesh every day. Um, if you want more information about that, again, go to our Romans teaching. I explain Romans 7. Hallelujah. So uh, last scripture, Hebrews 10, 22. We'll just put this on the screen and, and read it. Why do we water baptize people? It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Why do you water baptize people? Well, one reason is, there's lots of reasons, okay? But one reason is, is it helps your conscience believe that what Jesus did for you is real. So it's like you get washed. I'm about to wash some people in the water. They're going to come up out of the water. And the whole issue is I've, I've died to this old way of thinking, this, this confusion that sin brought into my heart, which said I'm alienated from God and I'm no longer loved by God and I'm not a child of God. And instead, I'm going to embrace the resurrection reality that, thank God, I am a child of God and I am, I am forgiven forever and I live in unbroken fellowship with God. 
my father. And the Lord is saying over me forever, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Is that all right with everybody? Yeah. All right, let's all stand up. My prayer team could come down here. What's going to happen now is I'm going to pray for everybody, and then if you're being water baptized, I think we've got about three people, uh, go change and then meet us over at the pool. We'd love to have everybody stay and witness it. There's bleachers. You can go down this hall, and then it's like the second to last door on the right. You can probably smell the chlorine. Mm -hmm. There'll be somebody down there, though. But anyway, I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down and pray with the prayer minister, and then we would love to meet you uh, over there for the, for the water baptism. Don't forget, sign up for the link. Sign up for the marriage thing if you want to go to that. And then go see uh, Jerusha and Jacob at their, at their table. All right. I know it's kind of a crazy Sunday, but God's with us. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray for everybody. Father, I just thank you for your radical goodness. I thank you that you've shouted over us that, that uh, we're your beloved children. And Lord, I thank you that that reality raises us from the dead even right now. That whatever death we're facing, we're being resurrected out of it through the re revelation of, of your opinion of us and how you love us and you see us as holy and just and pure and righteous. And so, Lord, right now, I just, I just release clarity and revelation about who everybody is. And I thank you for this opportunity we have to, to witness these water baptisms. And we just thank you for it and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.